So we've been talking about having a spiritual worldview, a spiritual Christianity, because if we aren't a supernatural people, then we're just another worldly club. Uh, Christianity is supernatural or it is nothing. It's just dead religion. We can have great fellowship and we can love each other very deeply and you can have a blast coming to church because all your friends are here and we can be the body of Christ but a body has to have a spirit or it's dead. The spirit has to have a body also. There has to be real relationship and friendship and love in this place for the spirit to inhabit. But we're not just getting together because we love each other or uh, even because we want to worship together. We're, we have to be a supernatural people. We have to be spiritual or we're dead. So we've been spending a long time on spiritual Christianity and what that means. And, and I want to take off where I left off last week. We were talking about the principalities and powers and what those are. And I'm gonna, just going to tag right off of that. We're going to start in Hebrews 2 this morning. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. He, that's Jesus, shared in our humanity so that by death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He shared in our humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, which is the devil, and set us free from our slavery, which is the fear of death. The Gospels tell us that story of Jesus' death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. But it really only fills us in on what's going on in the natural physical world. But there's a couple other verses in the New Testament that give us some really awesome picture of what's going on spiritually at the resurrection. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21 says, God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. When Jesus was resurrected, it wasn't just his body that was resurrected. God took him. Sometime after he told Mary, I have not yet ascended to my father. Sometime after that, God raised him up and sat him at his right hand far above every evil spirit, every other God of this world. In Colossians 2.15, it says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. I talked about this a little bit last week, but we're going to do it again because a bunch of you weren't here. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just go to heaven and sit down by his father. It says he disarmed the principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them. He drug them out of hell and shoved it in their face in front of God and all the angels, because it says he triumphed over them in it. Triumph in English means to be victorious or to win, but that's not what it meant in Roman times. A triumph was a parade to celebrate a victory that had already happened. So the Roman generals would come in and their horses all decorated up with ribbons and there would be trumpets and flower petals and all this and they would drag their captives in that they had taken in battle. They would drag them through the streets in chains with a hook in their nose and everybody would celebrate and praise Caesar and the generals and Jesus triumphed over the principalities and powers. There was a victory parade in heaven where he drug the powers of hell on their belly, in front of everybody. Yay, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't just defeat them. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And from Ephesians 4, 8, which is quoting Psalm 68, 
That is why the scripture says, when he ascended to the heights, he led a parade of captives. Jesus defeated his enemies, and he didn't just defeat them, he humiliated them. He showed that they have absolutely no power over him or us. Amen? But then Ephesians 6, two chapters later, tells us that we are still wrestling with them. Ephesians 6 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So if Jesus defeated them at the cross and at the resurrection he had a victory parade where he humiliated them, why are we still having to wrestle with them? He defeated them, but he didn't lock them up. That comes later in Revelation. Let's look later toward the end of the book. He didn't lock them up. He defeated them in battle. But then he apparently let them go. And he did that for our good. It is because he loves us that he gave us a battle to fight so that we can share in his victory so that we can share in the glory of God that he got, so that he can make us into what he wants us to be. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. For though we live in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Our weapons in our battle of faith in the Christian life, our weapons are not fleshly, they're not natural, not physical. They are spiritual. And our enemies are not other people. Our enemies are dark spirits. Don't get confused. People are not the enemy. It's dark spirits. So the Bible word is wrestle, um, fight, struggle. We are wrestling principalities, the gods of this world, the idols in our own heart, actually. And I proved that to you last week. Our battle is not against other people. It's the fight of faith. Our battle is not in the physical. It's in the spirit. But we live in a natural physical world. And we all know that. So... The spiritual battle that we are in looks like family upheaval. It looks like political fights. It looks like personal disputes and marriage trouble. It looks like rebellious kids, health problems, financial woes, lies being preached in the church, lies in the media, slander and accusation. Severe misunderstandings that break relationships. The spiritual battle we are in looks like adultery and pornography and antichrist influences on our kids and homosexual propaganda and conscience-numbing entertainment and time-robbing meaningless activity. Very rarely will your spiritual struggle be some manifest demon swashbuckling an angel while you pray. In fact, never have I seen that happen. I've seen paintings. I've seen people's pictures online. I've seen 80s Christian heavy metal album covers. Some angel with his boot on the head of a demon or something. But Have you ever seen that happen? I don't think so. The spiritual wrestling match that we are in, is mostly going to be with other people. Even though it says we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, 
We know we are. It will be a very real competition for truth and for righteousness, for justice, for purity and holiness. Our battle is very physical and natural, but we must always remember that the other people are not our enemies. There is an ancient and powerful and extremely wise group of spirits that are behind it all stirring up the trouble. The political bait, the marriage argument, the family squabble, the fight for life in the womb, the hard stand we have to make against LGBT lies. It all requires real argument and real pain and real forgiveness toward people. Ultimately, we can never forget that we are resisting Satan's encroachment in the church and the school and the family and the government and the media and not the people that are in those things. Satan is the father of lies. And when you are doing battle against him, you're going to be vomited on with shocking lies and slander and accusation and questioning doubts. These are his main weapons. You may have heard some things about a certain judge recently. Had to endure that vomiting. Sometimes those slander and accusations will come from demonic voices inside of you. But much of the time, it comes from the tongues of the people around you. That you have to live and work with. And a lot of the time, it's the people you love the most. But we cannot take Satan's bait. We cannot make the other person our enemy. He or she is the vessel at the moment, the mouthpiece. They are our opponent, but they are not our enemy. Please understand that. It is fine. It is a command that we oppose them, but they are not the enemy. We have to speak up. We have to fight for truth and righteousness, but they're not the enemy. We can't take Satan's bait. To let any offense or unforgiveness or fleshly anger take hold of us. Uh, Friday night I was talking with my daughter Freedom who's in Kansas City. She was telling us about a class they had on forgiveness. And the speaker was saying, the teacher in the class was saying that before God privately, he was asking God, is there anyone I need to forgive? And he was naming out people that he might need to forgive in his heart, just searching his own heart for unforgiveness before God in private. And he named every name and every situation that he thought he needed to name, and he, and he felt good. God sa- and he says, God, is there anyone else I need to forgive? And God says, you need to forgive Adolf Hitler. And he said, I knew it was God. He said, I wasn't even alive when Hitler did what he did. But God told me I need to forgive him. I don't understand that. I just, I'm just repeating his testimony. And he said, I... I did forgive him. I don't know. Maybe he had some particular feelings about that personally. I, I don't know. But my daughter, Freedom, went from that class and went to the prayer room where they pray for five or six or seven hours a night with this, in the group that they're in. And, and she said she began to pray through forgiveness. And she said, I was overcome with a desperate desire, a fire to pray for Hillary Clinton. She said, she says, Dad... It hit me how responsible she is for so much wickedness. 
and she is under the wrath of God, and I do not want her to face what God has planned for her, and neither does he. So she was weeping for Hillary's salvation, and she said, Dad, you know that I didn't think about that. (laughs) That had to be God. (laughs) I said, yeah, there is no one we have a right to not forgive. There is no one we are justified in holding judgment against. People are not the enemies. What they believe is, and we are fine to oppose it. It is a command to oppose it. Not let them have what they want and what they're working for. But the people are not the enemies. So how do we do that? How do we fight a supernatural battle in a natural world? How do we fight a spiritual wrestling match in a natural world where we're mostly having to work with people? Well, the answer has to be in, well, how did Jesus do it? Might seem like the place to start. Well, what did Jesus do? All right, so well, let's go back to the very first verse we looked at, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. He shared in our humanity so that by death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. How did Jesus defeat the devil? By dying. That is the sum total of Jesus' battle plan. I am going to die. The cross is his only weapon. And I got some really exciting news for you. That is his battle plan for your life. That you are going to die. And he's going to do it. Aren't you glad you got out of bed to come to church for this one today? That is how you defeat the enemy. You die. What do I mean? If you're thinking about being beheaded by ISIS for your faith, uh, you're missing my main point. The time may come, and it probably is coming, when we will have to put our necks on the chopping block. But when I say we have to die to defeat the principalities, the spiritual hosts of wickedness, I'm referring to Jesus' command in Mark 8. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever gains his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So what does Jesus mean? There's no Roman crosses today. Nobody in this room is going to be crucified today. He means that to follow him, we have to put our self to death. Not our body, because we're not fighting a physical battle. Our soul-slash-spirit self has to die. Your will, your rights, your offenses, your pride, your selfishness, your fears, your plans, your time, your money, your freedom. We have to give it up. We have to give it all up. Put it on the cross and let it die. And that's how we win. Jesus wants you to be crucified. When he says, take up your cross and follow me, it isn't because he's a sadist. It isn't because he's wanting to see how much you can take or how willing are you to sacrifice your life for me. It's not pointless suffering. It is, this is the way to victory. This is how you get set free. This is how you overcome. They did not love their lives to the death. 
Come on, this is really exciting stuff. I'm so pumped this morning. Jesus wants us to be crucified. He wants your flesh to die. And again, not your body, your will. So that you can rise to live in the Spirit. And you can lead a victory parade over the spirits of darkness that have been thrashing your life. Your weapons are not physical. They're not fleshly. They're spiritual. To tear down strongholds. To crucify the lies that are keeping you captive. Like his own hands... Jesus wants to nail your hands. You have two hands, and what do we do with them? We grasp, we hold on to, we take, we punch, we fight. Yes? Jesus wants to nail them open so that everything you're holding on to will fall out. Because our hands represent really the only two sins that there are. Every sin problem we've got, all our personal problems, really boil down to two sins, and it's selfishness and fear. Every wrong thing we do is either selfishness or fear or both. All of your personal problems, anger, anxiety, greed, lust, depression, unthankfulness, unforgiveness, rebellion, impatience, doubt, it's all just different manifestations of selfishness and fear. Jesus wants to nail fear and selfishness to the cross so that it dies, so that our hands are open. That is the entirety of his battle plan to defeat Satan in your life is to kill you. To kill your flesh nature, your selfishness and fear so that you can honestly say with Jesus, John 14, 30, the ruler of this world has nothing in me. We would love to externalize the spiritual battle. Oh, I'm so attacked. Oh, the devil hit me today. These other people are getting used by the devil to ruin my life. Oh, we would love to do that. And so often we do. Jesus says, no, the ruler of this world has nothing in me. It isn't your husband or your wife or your child or your boss that's ruining your life. It's your own attitude. I want you to forget absolutely everything you've ever heard about spiritual warfare. Just scrap it all. Delete it from your brain. We're going to start over from scratch. The base, the foundation, the secret of all spiritual warfare is you die. Do you see how genius Jesus is? This is the only way that the spirits of darkness don't get what they want, but you don't hurt anyone around you, is I give up my rights. I don't defend myself. I keep my mouth shut. I kill my pride. I don't respond in fear. The spirits of darkness have nothing on that, but you're not hurting anyone. Do you see how genius it is that by death he defeated death? It's brilliant. This is how you defeat darkness without hurting anyone around you. We would so like to lash back, to punch back, to let them have some words. Oh, wait a minute, no. Um, I'm not supposed to fight flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. All right, we'll just cast out demons and bind and loose, and we're going to take authority. And Jesus said, no, 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 shut up. 
It's in you. Just die. Just give in. Just be quiet. Surrender. Submit. Obey. Oh, Jesus, I'm dying here. Yeah, that's the plan. You see it? It's absolutely genius. Because if he can kill our selfishness and our fear, the opposite of those two things is humility and faith. And the devil can't touch you when you're operating in humility and faith. He cannot touch you. He has nothing on that. You cannot be stopped. You will not lose. You will not sin. Hell cannot touch humility and faith. The opposite of selfishness is selflessness, humility. The opposite of fear is faith, boldness, courage, power. It's bold love. It's unstoppable obedience. It's fearless truth. It's unoffendable forgiveness. It's compassionate holiness. And you will win. I'm going to be Rocky Balboa. Will's going to be Ivan Drago. Seen Rocky IV where he has to fight the Russian. So this is, this is the devil and I'm you. And the devil is pounding you with problems and sins and temptations and words and lies and financial problems and kid problems and marriage problems. And you're getting, you're getting into the punching bag. You would love to hit back. But guess what? The devil isn't going to be doing that. Who is it? It's going to be your mom and your brother and your boss and your child. The devil doesn't really have to work very hard because we're just that stupid. We so take the bait, do we not? I mean, the devil just has to show up between you and your spouse and stir the pot for 10 little seconds and then he can back off and watch you guys destroy each other. It ain't the devil making you do it. He may have stirred the pot, but it's in your own heart. So this person or this attack is not going to come sometimes, but rarely is it spiritual. How it shows up, it is spiritual. But it's normally going to come with a coworker lying to you about you to the boss. Or your spouse says something incredibly hurtful. Or your sister jumps your case. You, you hear what I'm saying? And the devil would love for you to come back with selfishness and fear. To defend yourself. To, to give that other person a little bit of defense. No, no, no. And, and, and oh boy, he's got you in his corner. If you start swinging in fear and panic and selfishness. Because you're going to do something really hurtful to somebody else. Or your own soul. You're going to disobey God. If he can get you to be scared, you're going to take action in your own self. But if you've been to the cross and you're fighting with humility and faith, he can't touch you. He absolutely cannot get a punch in. I forgive. I forgive. I trust God. I'm going to wait. I'm going to be patient. And I listen. When you're being patient, when you're forgiving, when you're submitting, when you're obeying, when you're waiting on God, it's not going to feel like you're throwing any punches. It's actually going to feel like you're the one who's the punching bag. To give in, to submit, to die to your own pride and your own fear and your fierce desire to defend yourself is going to feel like you're failing. But in the spirit, you are beating his face to a bloody pulp. 
I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. I'm not quitting, I'm not giving up. I'm loving, I'm re-loving. He probably isn't smiling that much. Let me say all that again just so we make sure I get it all out. The devil's pounding you with offenses and lies and accusations and pain and pain and pain and more pain and hurt feelings and troubles and doubt and fear and depression and anxiety and he's overwhelming you with a flurry of punches. He wants to get you to fight back in fear and selfishness because then you'll panic and he'll have you in his corner. You're either going to drop your hands and give up and he's going to knock you out cold or you're going to do something in fear or selfishness and ruin everything that God has planned. But humility and faith are your one-two punch. When the devil's hitting you hard, it's mostly, it's not going to come. The devil isn't going to show up in front of you and beat your face in. It's going to be some person saying something horribly mean. It's going to be a circumstance where somebody betrays you or robs you or lies about you. And you respond with humility and faith. It's not going to feel like you're boxing anything. It's going to feel like you're the one getting beat up. We want desperately to take action, to throw some punches, to defend myself. But if you employ humility and faith, it's mostly, it's going to feel like you're the punching bag. You're the one taking all the shots in the chin. They're getting away with everything and lies are spreading and evil is winning and truth is losing and sin is growing stronger and justice is lost. It will feel like patience and trust are passive. It will feel like humility is surrender. It'll feel like waiting on God is some embarrassing failure. And forgiving is foolish and unjust and submitting is just futile and passive. It will feel like you are dying. And that's the point. But in the Spirit, you really are pounding his face. He has no defense against you not defending yourself. I said the devil has no defense against you not defending yourself. You've totally disarmed him. You have him on the ropes. When your humility and faith is, I forgive. I forgive again. I forgive again. I love again. I'm not going to curse. I'm not going to lose my patience. I trust God. I wait. I won't quit. I believe. All of that will seem very passive and docile. Like I'm losing and I'm letting the other person win. But in the spirit, in the upside down, inside out, crazy backward kingdom of heaven that turns the world upside down, you are actually pummeling the powers of darkness. Humility and faith. Your death. The death of your selfishness and your fear are your weapons against spiritual darkness. What does that look like in everyday life? Number one, it looks like do not be afraid. Quit worrying about the future. Quit worrying that you're not going to get what you want. Quit being afraid when somebody else doesn't understand you. I'm not going to have enough money or they're getting away with what they're getting away with and I have to stop them. Somebody online is wrong and I have to tell them that. Do not fear. Fear makes us do such stupid things. 
don't be afraid. Quit worrying. The feeling of fear is not a sin. Action in fear is always sin. It will totally seem like the right thing to do in the moment. And three seconds later, the devil will back off, and instantly you will realize what a mess you have just made. Oh, if I could get those words back in. Do not be afraid. Forgive. Turn the other cheek again and again and again. Do not judge anyone before the time. Our goal is to say with Jesus and Stephen, as they were being killed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive over and over and over again. Take care of the fatherless and the widow and the weak, the marginalized, the falsely accused. Notice I do not say care about them because we can totally fool ourselves that we care about people, but you aren't doing anything. Take care of real people. What does that have to do with humility and faith? It will get you out of your own schedule and your own life and you will have to actually change someone's diapers. That is real love. Take care of the fatherless, the widow, the weak, the marginalized, the falsely accused. That's real love. It's real humility. It's real faith. Be a peacemaker. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Do you want to be a child of God? This is the way to do it. Be a peacemaker. I don't claim to live these four sentences correctly and you can ask Sarah I'm a miserable failure at it but I do say these things to myself when I am being attacked or when I'm in a conflict I have no rights I have no agenda I have no fear I have no pride I am going to make peace For those of you who are scared about being a doormat the I have no fear part will stop that because People who are doormats are doing so out of fear. What does that mean? I have no rights. I I give up all my rights. It doesn't matter if I think Sarah is angry with me unjustly. It doesn't matter. I don't have to be understood. Peace is what matters here. Love and forgiveness. I give up my right to be understood. I give up my right to demand that she apologize to me. And again, I don't claim that I do this even 10% correctly. This is the goal. Hello? I have no agenda. I am not trying to get the other person to do anything. I am here to obey God and to love and forgive and make peace. I have no fear. I am not afraid of getting hurt. I am not afraid of what they might say. I'm not going to avoid speaking truth when it needs spoken. See that? You're not a doormat. I'm not afraid. I will do the right thing and only the right thing. Even if that's scary. And I have no pride. I'm not going to clam up and get quiet and withdraw in anger and she better apologize to me or I'm just not talking to her again. No. Again, I fail miserably. But that's what this means. I'm not telling you what I actually do it's pretty ugly this is the goal i have no rights i have no agenda i have no fear 
I have no pride. If every time you are in conflict in any relationship, if you will live by that, you will make peace. It will feel like you are dying because you are. (laughs) And guess what? You're winning. This is how you defeat the devil. He has no defense. He has no, he has no attack for that. You're untouchable. You are untouchable. We all know we're going to fail ten times for every one success. But this is how we do it. Pray and declare the word and worship. When you're, I mean, when you're under attack and you're trying to respond with humility and faith, pray nonstop. Find the promises of God and the scripture of God that comforts you and brings you peace. Find the voice of God and speak those words out loud. God, I will be patient. I will wait. I will forgive. I will love. Worship God. Scripture is full of statements that he rises up when we worship and he moves and he defends us. Read Psalm 18 for that one. When you feel that need to defend yourself, when you feel under attack like God has forgotten you or that people are falsely accusing you and everything's going wrong and you're getting scared and I need to take action and you need to get alone and you need to look deeply into Jesus' eyes of fire. And I, I get that phrase from Revelation 1. You need to know Jesus. You, these... Making a list like this in a sermon, I always hesitate to do it because I don't want to think this is a formula. This is not a list, of, a checklist of things to do and things will work out right. You've got to know Jesus yourself. You've got to look at him because that's what's going to change your heart. Read the Gospels again. Read Revelation 1 every day until you know what he looks like. The man who's blazingly white, blindingly pure and holy. His eyes burn with fire. You've got to know Jesus. You've got to gaze into his eyes, and he will change your heart. He will give you the strength and the humility and the faith to do this. I can't tell you how to do that. It's like me trying to tell you how to fall in love. It's laughable. You can't tell somebody how to fall in love. It's, it just happens. You know a person, and you love them, and, and it happens. But none of what I have said so far at all will work out of religion or duty or your own strength. You know because you've tried. You've tried responding right in your own willpower. If willpower was enough, we wouldn't need a Savior. God would have said, just suck it up and do it. You've tried not wrestling flesh and blood in your own strength and it never works. You can't keep your mouth shut, can you? I can't. Look into his eyes of fire and be changed. I don't even know how to tell you what that is. But it's, it's yesterday, I got in my pickup and went to go deer hunt and I turned on some worship music and ended up parked by the side of the road bawling and I didn't even care about a deer because I was overwhelmed with love for God and how beautiful he is and wonderful and I just sat there and cried. And then when I got down the mountain, I saw that there was guys looking up the mountain in the binoculars, and I was hoping they didn't see me. <laughs> Sitting in my pickup crying while I'm supposed to be deer hunting. 
But he's so wonderful. I don't care about a deer. The first and last priority is do not be afraid. When we are afraid, we do stupid stuff. Some of you are afraid to love. You're afraid to forgive. There's somebody you have to relate with. I I don't want to forgive that person. I don't want to love them again because I know what they're going to do to me. Love them anyway. Fear makes us do such irrational things. Some of the people you're scared to forgive are dead. I'm not no condemnation, but do you see how idiotic that is? They're not going to hurt you again, but still we hold on to the poison in our own heart. Out of fear. Forgive over and over and over again. Love, keep your heart soft. Guard your heart above all else. It is the wellspring of life. Don't let your heart get hard. Some of you are scared of Holy Spirit stuff. You need to kill that fear. Take the Nestea plunge. The younger people don't know what that is. Just fall backward. Just let him have your tongue. Let him have your life. There's some of you who really honestly want to follow God and obey him, but you're terribly afraid that if you honestly listen for an answer, he's going to tell you to quit your job and move to Mongolia. I don't want to go to Mongolia. I like it in the grand. If God wants you in Mongolia, why would you not want to be in Mongolia? Seriously, again, no judgment, but we're stupid. God says, my perfect will and plan and blessing for you is in Mongolia, and you run off to Legrand. Jonah? Come on. You genuinely want to obey God, and you want to make him happy and pleasing, but you're, too, you're terribly scared that if you obey and you step out of the water, you will sink, that he won't be there. If I quit my job, how will I pay my bills? If I forgive this person, how will I get justice? If I give in, they're just going to do it again. Trust that he'll be there. You obey, and you're defeating the powers of darkness, and the same thing won't happen again. You're afraid to give up your life, your money, your time. You don't want to take care of other people in real ways. You're happy to donate some money once in a while to serve for half an hour on Sunday morning, but don't put me in a relationship where I actually have to take care of somebody. Kill that fear. Humility and faith. Some of you are afraid to speak up, to witness the gospel. You, you really do want to talk to your family and your friends and the people you love. You want them saved. You feel that urging of the spirit with the cashier or the waitress, but immediately your tongue sticks to the top of your mouth. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's fear. Kill it. Be bold and step out. Humility and faith. Don't be afraid. You're afraid to offend people with the truth. Well, I don't know. I, I can't correct my kids because they might reject me. I don't want my atheist friends to be mad at me. I don't want my gay friends to be mad at me. You're a very nice Pharisee. Jesus didn't call us to be nice. If you're speaking the truth with love, 
you're not in charge of the reaction. You must speak up. Anything else is cowardice. Are you seriously going to let your kids go to hell and you're not going to speak up? Or your grandkids? Or your neighbors? Don't be afraid to die. Hebrews 2.15 The devil holds us captive as slaves because of our fear of death. You want to be free? You don't want to be a slave anymore? Quit being afraid to die. Give in. Surrender. Let Jesus have it. Just give him your whole life. Give him everything. I'll do whatever you say. You will no longer be a slave of the fear of death. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to give it up. Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Whatever it is. Whatever it is he calls you to, yeah, there'll be pain. Some days with a capital P. Some days will suck with a capital S. But most days will be beautiful and wonderful, full of joy and glorious and miracles and jaw-dropping stuff that happens when you're bold. I know this is sober, but you ought to be really excited. I just told you how to defeat the devil. Jesus defeated him by dying. And you will defeat him by dying. The devil will have nothing in you. I give up all of my rights. I give up my fear. I give up my selfishness. Ted, bring your team up. I give up. I give in. I die. I forgive. I submit. I obey. I trust. Over and over and over again. Amen? We're going to sing this. We're going to declare.